Hey friends, it's Coley. Welcome to another episode of Still With You, a space for sharing gold, inspiring stories with genuine friends about our faithful God. I'm so glad that you are here. Speaking of friends, one of our favorites is our gal, folk indie artist Gabrielle Grace. You're listening to her song, We'll Be Alright, from her latest EP. And if you have not yet given it a spin, you must listen. Every track is simply amazing. And if you would like to connect with Gabrielle, you can visit her website, gabriellegracemusic.net, or you can find her through social media. Her handle is Gabrielle Grace Music. This week on the show, we are observing a holiday that needs no introduction. Veterans Day is an annual moment for us as civilians to honor and celebrate the selfless men and women of our United States military. Clearly, this federal holiday is close to my heart. As many of you know, my husband, Chris, served in the United States Navy for seven and a half years and is now a staff sergeant with the Air Force Reserves. My brother, Sergeant Bennett Stock, also shares the veteran title. Ben served as an infantryman in the United States Army with Fort Bragg's 82nd Airborne Division in North Carolina. In June 2019, Ben and hundreds of other brave men and women departed from the United States for a nine-month deployment to Afghanistan. While my family's hearts trembled with fear every day Ben was away, we chose to place our trust in God. We prayed for him to cover Ben's life with his protection. And in the middle of a global pandemic, March 2020, God answered our prayers and brought our soldier home safely. On this episode of Still With You, I am so excited to be joined by the red, white, and bro returning guest, my brother Ben, to talk about his service experience in Afghanistan. And I want to be transparent at this time in sharing that the contents of our conversation might be sensitive to young listeners or triggering to individuals with current or prior military experience. Do not think any less of yourself if this is a conversation that you want to pass on. My hope is that this space will always be a place of safety for you. While a large chunk of this chat is heavy hitting, there are a few hilarious splashes of stories of Barrick tattoos, Ben's dog, my niece, Bear, and a new house building project that Ben has in progress. I think my favorite takeaway from this conversation is how Ben shares with us how we can strategically pray for our service members as well as the nation of Afghanistan. Friends, I hope you lean in and love every moment as we welcome back to Still With You, my brother, United States Army veteran, Sergeant Bennett Stock. The last time you were on the podcast was 2018. Wow, it's been a while. Three seasons later, you've returned. Also, oh, <laughs> it's already started. Okay. <laughs> Got that first sip out of the way. <laughs> and Bear, your dog has already licked my coffees. I don't know what we're doing, but, but do it, though. I'm so happy to have you back. If you do recall, you were the first dude that we had on Still With You. That's awesome. What an honor. I remember recording at the kitchen table and you talking a lot about how you almost blew off your thumb. Several incidences of almost being in pain and then being in pain. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I think I told a few army stories. That was 2018. So of course now out of the service. Okay, so let's just jump in. We have to talk about everything that's happened as promised. A lot that's happened in the last three years. Yes. I know that we can't fully divulge everything because there's just not enough time. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we just got to go. 
before we're here. Sure. So let's talk 2018 because mm-hmm. that's where people know you from. Okay. So you were living in North Carolina at the time. I was living in North Carolina, been in the service approximately two years, maybe a year and a half, two years with the Army. After that, you know, just kept training. I was still in North Carolina, same unit. 2019, late June, early July, actually deployed to Afghanistan. Everybody that followed me on Instagram and prayed and just kind of lifted up our whole family in prayer and safety. Just really appreciative of that still. Got back in 2020, so I've been back a little bit, but still very appreciative of that. And I do not forget you guys. 2019, yeah, went to Afghanistan in early, late June, early July, and then came home in March of 2020. So it was almost nine months deployment. Throughout your military career, your MOS was as an infantryman, yep. and then you moved to airborne. Yep. On deployment, attached to uh, three different ODAs, you know, special forces teams, teams of Green Berets. And so worked side by side with them, conducting combat operations in eastern Afghanistan. We can talk about four years in two minutes, but it's that's four years of training to do a job and then walk away from a job. What's that like? It's been an adjustment for sure. I'd say it's actually like a almost a stair steps of adjustment. Uh-huh. Because, you know, as you're gearing up, as you're doing a train up, a workup for Afghanistan. Is that really like the climax and the buildup is like that is yeah, that that's, is the, that's what you train for? That's what you're practicing for. You know, like think of it as a football team. You practice every day. That's your Friday night. So, you know, you're working up to that. You're trying to get team cohesion, trying to get everybody on the same page. And you're just establishing all your SOPs, your standard operating procedures and everything like that. While you're on deployment, it's kind of just like the pinnacle of what you're supposed to be doing. But it's not temporary. It's a night months of, hey, be on your A game. After that, you know, you come back and it's just, you have to have a different head once you're in the States than you can when you're in Afghanistan. It's not the same rules and it's it's a lot different environment. And when you say team, what number of people are you talking about trying to be in cohesion with? A lot of times we were broke down to like platoon levels. So that's 25, 30, 35 people. I was a team leader on deployment at the end, you know, I was a squad leader for a while. So that was 12 or less the whole time. So like I wanted to make sure my guys I was in charge of knew I had their back and then vice versa. How did you find out that you were going to Afghanistan? What was that process like? Uh, rumors kind of started a few months ahead of time. We started doing train ups for it, but the training wasn't anything too different. Been doing that the whole time I was in the army. But once we got orders cut that said like, hey, you are going to Afghanistan, like that was like, okay, it's concreted. This is real. And they didn't cut those until probably two months, month and a half before we left. You left in... I believe mid-May we got orders. In late June, we were gone. I remember writing in my Bible. I was in Psalms in the middle of the summer and I like, I have one of those journal Bibles and I remember Uh writing it down June 28th, 2019. Today, been left for nine months for Afghanistan. I mean, I can speak on what I felt in that moment, but like more importantly, I want to know what you felt getting on an airplane knowing that you're leaving everything that you've ever known. Because that was the first time you're out of the country besides Canada. You and I both went to Canada. Yeah, I've been to Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. It was exciting. I was excited. It was something I'd look forward to. I'd hoped I'd get to do while I was in the military. So I was excited about it. It's new experiences. And it's obviously like there's kind of a weight to it. Um, sober reality. What do you mean by that? It's a deployment. It's not a training event. It's not just like we're going to go out and shoot some guns. You know, it's the real deal. You know, people are going to be shooting back this time, this and that. You don't know what's going to happen. You get on the airplane, you know, at Fort Bragg. It's a series of several flights. You're getting on with this group of hundreds of other men and women, and you're hoping everybody's there on the way home. You see all these faces. You don't know everybody, obviously, but you're hoping everybody's there to come home at the end of it. Yeah. And is the reality is that that doesn't happen. doesn't happen. Yeah. The verse I read 
on the day that you left. It just says in Psalms 81, 7, Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine, and you drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains, and our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread out our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea, and our shoots spread to the Euphrates River. But now, why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass by may steal our fruit? The wild boar from the forest devours it, and the wild animals feed on it. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Though you left on June 28th, our family's goodbye to you happened about a month before? Yeah, it was several weeks. Yeah, and that you'd come back on a leave for home, and then we all say goodbye at the airport. I am not trying to elevate my feelings and my experiences to yours. Like, I can only speak for myself because I didn't go on deployment. I just was home scared. And I remember feeling like for a year, part of me just could not breathe. There was so much unrest. And so when it talks about, turn us again to yourself, oh God, and like how the movement within the land, we're like, God, like you brought us here to this moment. All we have is you. We could not control. We're at the mercy of whatever happens. I mean, whereas when you're home, at least we have... When you're here in the United States, at least we have a car. We could drive to you if we needed to. When you feel that on your end, what was that like for you? I often said that to at least, I know my mom, our mom, that I thought that you guys had it harder here than I did. I don't know if that's like, you know, it's kind of like apples and oranges. I think it's just yeah. probably just as difficult, but just different types of difficult. I Me mean, personally, with my personality and what I struggle with, I don't want to not have options. I don't want to feel helpless. That feels like a sense of helplessness if you can't get to your person. You know? But, you know, actually going on deployment, you're trained and you do this for so many years and you know you have great training you're trained by some of the best in the world that have been doing it for years so you have a sense of like safety and it's a definitely a false safety net that you think like as long as i do everything right i'll be fine you know you start figuring that out pretty quick like <laughs> you don't have control over anything hardly you can do what you can do yeah but it's definitely a false net you're training i was so shocked to see your living arrangements plywood boxes Yes, I felt like they flew you thousands of miles just to put you in a box. Like it felt like a human cardboard box. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty accurate though. They're just little plywood boxes. They weren't bad though. You know, a lot of guys were you know shacked up three, four, five people to a room. They were small, but most of us had our own room. You had your own room. Got, yeah, I got to, you know, get away from people every now and then. There are thin walls, but you could get away from people and, you know, watch a movie or do whatever. What got you through nine months? You don't really have an option at that point. Like, you got to get through it. God, definitely. God, for sure. Besides that, I've read a lot. Remind me what you read that had the biggest influence on you. Biggest influence, and then also what was one that you most enjoyed? I read almost exclusively nonfiction because I like to learn. Like, I mm-hmm. want to learn stuff as I read, and I love to read. But well, you had a Kindle reading. before you left, right? I had a Kindle sent to me because yes. I was running out of books. <laughs> so <laughs> that's beautiful, honestly. Yeah. But I was, you know, by the end of it, I was reading through novels and stuff. So it's like not even my style, but just enjoying stories and trying to live vicariously. I was reading about men climbing mountains on all seven continents and guys that would just sell everything and go be a ranch hand and like work in the back country for a summer. And it's like just different life experiences. I was just trying to dive into. And what does that do? Does that help you escape? the reality that you're in or does it remind you of the strength that you have within you 
I think it kind of reminds you that humanity is still there. Yeah. There's a few times, like, actually conducting combat operations, you know, doing raids in villages. It's nighttime. There's IEDs everywhere. And you can, I don't know if this makes sense to people that haven't felt it, but you can feel the darkness around you just almost smother you, just covered in it. You feel like it's a godless pit. I don't even have words because I feel like I've experienced dark places, but never a place that felt godless. Or the presence of God was not there. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird feeling because i that's about the only time I've ever experienced that. More specifically speaking to that, came or what province, we probably should just leave that out anyway. I don't know that I could tell you with any accuracy, but it was in Afghanistan. We did a raid in a village. It was nighttime. We got a hold of a couple of guys and through our interpreters, they told us that all the buildings that were like abandoned were rigged to blow up. You realize like, okay, I've been in and out of these buildings all night. We're just now hearing, hey, these are rigged to blow up. Literally everybody here is probably trying to kill us. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is literally just like an empty, godless hole is what it feels like. When you're in those moments, multiple moments like that, do you have conversations with God? And that is not a question that begs or prompts any form of judgment it's like do you feel like even in those moments god is there or do you just turn on whatever mental survival mode you can and just think i'll see myself on the other side i'm going to be 100 percent honest with you with your listeners everyone like being on deployment probably wasn't the closest i've been to god and i feel ashamed saying that because i feel like that's when you should push into him even more but definitely probably not my best time in my walk with him i hadn't turned away from him i hadn't you know denied him or anything like that still definitely believed in god but i wasn't like actively pouring into that i don't know if it was a detachment if it was like Uh uh-huh that deep into a deployment, you know, already had several close calls on stuff and you've been doing it for a while that you're just kind of detached and callous to it. But you're like, you hear news like that and you're like, okay, like that's where we're at. Be careful. I don't even know how to like have conversations like that in public and even in private with you because when you're speaking in, on subjects like this, like you are speaking about human souls. Yeah. Human beings. People that God took the time to make Mm -hmm. and that he loves. I mean, I don't know any other way than to say thank you for what you did. And, you know, I'm so grateful for all of our servicemen and women, but specifically those who were surrounded and with you during that time. I'm just so thankful that you're alive. I'm really thankful that you're alive. I'm thankful that you're you're here and that that you didn't give up on God during those times. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Part of me wants to just, like, do my Enneagram 7 and just, like, transition out of that. But is there anything else, like, kind of while we're deeply there, do you have anything you want to add about that? I don't think so. Can we talk about your tattoo? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure, let's okay. do it. So one of the most shocking parts of the deployment was getting a FaceTime and photos that you got a tattoo. That's can, right. Can, I never dreamed. We, I mean, we'd always talked about it as kids, about like if we were to get a tattoo, what would we get a tattoo? And then uh-huh. you just went and did it. Just so did it. can you tell? Yeah. Uh, I love it. I, it's, it's so on brand for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a boring story. No, it's, it's not. No, no. You think it's boring because of you, it's you. It is not boring to the rest of us. It's what happens. You know, you had a full platoon full of infantry guys that is winter time we started to get bored and getting stir crazy so we all chipped in like 10 bucks a piece bought a tattoo gun online and had it shipped to afghanistan was it through amazon yeah amazon special (laughs) little package deal 
Uh, they sent it right out though, and we had one guy. I think he was from uh, I almost said Gangland, but it was like <laughs> are we allowed to inner, say that? In Los Angeles, <laughs> I don't know, but he wanted to be a tattoo artist, so he did a few on his own legs. And once we saw, he kind of knew what he was doing. We're like, all right, line up. Oh my gosh, <laughs> everyone who's listening in their car just literally choked. Like they're <laughs> with their coffee, so, or like they're so like what? There they're we like- are. <laughs> there we are in the back room of a plywood box in afghanistan with an amazon tattoo gun doing tattoos on my headlamp your tattoo is it's on your it's upper on my left leg upper thigh yeah but those who were with you where is the most public part of their body that someone did anyone get it on There's their hand like ankles no one got hand tats because that's against regulation uh-huh um i think some ankles neck backs maybe a lot of legs a lot of people are like we can cover this up if he messes up and like i'm telling you this guy he was in the back headlamp on one rubber glove cutting his ink with a bottle of water it was sketchy oh my gosh <laughs> what made you follow through though honestly like i said a story is going to be boring but i was like that'd be a great story i gotta have the experience so but like, he did a great. good job i yeah, like I it i thought he did good i like it i love my tattoo so no can regrets you, yeah no regrets no <laughs> share what you got oh and also this follows up exactly with episode 12 of like you talking about photography because yeah. we talked a lot about yeah, that we did didn't we yes i gotta re-listen to that because that's all slipping away from me it's kind of like a sketch design camera and in the lens is the world so it's like all the continents floating around in the lens of the camera i think it's super cool i love I it i think he did a good job yeah. after i heard the backstory i was thinking how did that actually happen <laughs> but he captured the vision yeah originally i wanted did to do hurt? a quote and he was like, I'm not comfortable doing words. <laughs> and I was like, I'll find a picture for you. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad he didn't do I'm I'm glad he was confident enough to share what he was incapable of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I can't do words. <laughs> uh, did it hurt? It hurt really bad. So How long did it take? Being an amateur artist, you tattoo people out there. I'm not a tattoo guy by any means. That's all I have. And I don't, I, if I ever went back to Afghanistan, be the baby the only way I get another one. I think I'm done. But all you tattoo people out there know the words. He was very heavy-handed. What being does a that new mean? Artist, oh, okay. So he was put a lot of pressure on it. He kept going over the same stuff to like make sure he got did it. Did you bleed? Actually, I did not bleed. No, but it took him. It, it's not a huge tattoo, mind you. And it took him about three hours. And by the end of it, my leg was jumping around, and he kept being like, "Hey, bro, you have to sit still." And I was like, "I'm not doing that. Like that's involuntary." Did like, it ever tempt you to want to stop and come back? For a second. No, because I had to get to a guard shift that night. Oh, so I was like, God. hurry up. <laughs> I'm late. Do you think you'll ever get it touched up? If you are if 70 years it, old and... If it ever needs it, potentially, it's not really going to be like... It's not in a spot where it get a lot of sunlight. So <laughs> I don't think it'll fade out too bad. It's going to be real healthy. You just moisturize that yeah, bad boy in. some lotion. Just lube it up real good. Any other memories that like kind of you want to highlight about Afghanistan? I mean, I definitely want to talk about you coming home to a pandemic, but... Um, no, honestly, especially hindsight now, recording this after we saw how Afghanistan really played out. Anybody that's not paying attention to it or doesn't know exactly how Afghanistan played out, or at least what the news is saying, I just urge I, you to I wanted read, to talk about that, yeah. I just urge you to read about it and approach it from like a almost a humanitarian standpoint, maybe not a militant standpoint, because the people of Afghanistan really are resilient and they're beautiful people. Um, and they doesn't, don't deserve to live like that. You know, the Taliban are ruthless, and the U.S. Whether regardless of your stand on the war in Afghanistan, I'm not here to be political. But the beautiful thing was a war of 20 years, although it came out of 
very, very high cost. There were people that were born into U.S. occupation and experienced freedom up until adulthood, you know, 20-year war. So born after the U.S. occupied and then there's women, you know, going to college like they were getting to do stuff. They were gaining rights and that was, you know, potentially because of what the U.S. was able to step in and do. Yeah, they really are resilient people. They're fighters, they're warriors. Don't write them off. To stay on that thread for a second, when you watched the withdrawal from Afghanistan, you know, not being there and you're home a year out from the army, watching that all happen, knowing that just a year ago you were there. I love what you just said there, and I fully agree about approaching it from a humanitarian standpoint. When you see that happen, I would love to know your thoughts. And also the question that we keep hearing circulate is like asking service members, if do you feel like it was it was worth it? I do feel like it was worth it. Seeing that, like, we all knew the withdrawal was coming. If you didn't, it was because you weren't following anything. The Trump administration was setting it up. And, you know, the change of administrations, uh, Biden essentially fell in on a withdrawal plan. Whether or not he executed what he had, that's on him. So we all knew, like, hey, we are leaving Afghanistan. It's just a matter of, like, how quickly and how peacefully. Yeah. We knew it was coming, but the brash just withdrawal overnight, like, just gone, disappeared. I was a little ground pounder, just little infantrymen. But I knew the importance of maintaining Bagramir Field. That's a key into the whole country. Uh, you just see like some of these key things that are just like given away, just absolutely given that I don't know what year it was. It would have been the early 2000s. Ranger Regiment went in and they took Bagramir Field the first time and it was wild. Like it was a crazy shootout. It was a whole ordeal to get that in the first place. And then just overnight, here you go. Just give it up with all the equipment, machines and everything, weaponry. Uh, you're just like, what is happening? And then we all saw how it played out with the 13 killed in the Kabul airport bombing, yeah. you know, people hanging off airplanes, falling from the sky, dying in wheel wells just to leave the country, just to have a chance. Jared Schmitz. It's just, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely horrendous. And that should be a testament alone to like what the Taliban are capable of if people are willing to take their chances hanging onto an airplane than to stay there and face them. It definitely raises a lot of questions of like, what was it worth it? Why are my friends dead? And then you're just giving this all right back to them. Like, why'd they die for them? Like I was saying, you know, U.S. involvement and occupation did guarantee a lot of liberties for a lot of people for a very long time. Because you're boots have literally touched Afghanistan soil and you've breathed Afghanistan air. You've been there. How do we pray for the people there? What is it when you walk away from living in that country and calling that country home for a year? What do you pray every day for them? Honestly, those people are tough. It is insane, but they are tough. During the winter, that's a misconception. Afghanistan's not always hot. In the winter, there is feet of snow, and it gets below zero, and it's brutal. They're still waking up, you know, lighting their stoves, and they are they, they are tough people. They live very primitively. You know, some of the bigger cities do have some sort of infrastructure and some sort of not modern living, not like industrial or post-industrial, but a, more of a semblance to that. But if you get anywhere agrarian or anywhere more rural, it's very primitive living, like cooking over open fire, wood stove mud huts, stuff like that. I mean, I would just pray for the people because if you think of it, that's all that they have to look forward to is they get up and they do the same thing every day. Where we live and work in order to attain certain financial goals and safeties, they're living and working to survive. That's mm. their goal every day is to survive. We need to be praying safety. We need to be praying blessings over them. This is very generic stuff. I'm not trying, this isn't profound, but this is a basic stuff. Safety, blessings, whatever underground form of underground churches in Afghanistan, Christian-wise, that they just have boldness, that they have safety, that they have invisibility when it's needed, and they have visibility when needed because there's a place and a time for both there. 
being that you live there and then also being on the other side of watching the withdrawal, do you believe prayer still works? Absolutely. Do you feel like your experiences have increased your doubt or wavered it a bit? Wavered my my belief in prayer? Yeah. No, I believe in prayer 100%. Prayer is so invisible and I think that it's it's so hard when you see something so catastrophic mm-hmm. to know if specific prayers mm-hmm. that we just talked about, like if it still works and you you do believe it does. Uh, 100% prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines that we are called to. And it is possibly the single greatest tool that we actually have. And there's a lot that we will not know this side of heaven, but we can bring it before our Lord and we serve a mighty God who's capable of mighty things. And who better to bring that before than him? Okay, I'm going to dip out again here. Here we go. Here we, we went to the valley. We're coming up. Tell me about coming home in a pandemic. What was it like leaving the United States and then coming back to a masked, vaccinated society? It's going to sound so dramatic. I felt like I didn't even come home to America for the longest time. Really? It felt weird just because you get so excited. You're marking days off for literally months. You know, you're counting months and then you're down. And you're like, oh, man, we're counting weeks and then you're counting days. And then you get home and you don't, you know, they don't let you see your family. You get quarantined for two weeks straight right off oh, the plane. Oh, our homecoming celebration was canceled with a capital C. <laughs> capital C. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you're in Afghanistan. Boom. Next day or two days later, you're at Fort Bragg again in North Carolina. And you're in a quarantine room and you can see like an American gas station. You, you can see Papa John's right across the road. <laughs> of course you do. And it's like, oh, we're here. Oh, <laughs> it was so weird. While we're there, just for, so the, for the general journal audio, can you talk about the Papa John's? That is the highest grossing. I had the absolute privilege to live <laughs> about a quarter of a mile, eighth of a mile. You were there. I've, I've seen it. I've seen the historic right up mark. the road from... What I was led to believe, I do believe, you know, you can fact check me and you can let me know if you send me a Facebook message or whatever, but let me know if I'm wrong. It's the highest grossing Papa John's in the country, which is on Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which services all the barracks. That is the myth slash fact, right? I believe so. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I've been telling people that since you've said it. I've been sharing it. <laughs> okay. So you come home. If we say it long enough, Did it'll you be have- true. Did- <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a COVID test as soon as you came back? I've not been COVID tested yet. Okay. Period. Okay. So that didn't happen, but they did quarantine no. you. Yep. Okay. We were told somebody would screen us, do a medical screening, and he just walked through and looked at everyone. Oh. I guess he knew. He Okay. <laughs> so you come home, you've quarantined, you get out of quarantine. Do you yeah. ha- you go back to work just for a little while to wrap up some stuff? Yeah, got out. I think we got out as like a week, it started a weekend or something, which is weird because I didn't have my car back or anything. And then you'd like, all right, you're, it's like almost you get out of prison. You know? Oh, because like, the car I need, I need is, food. is like, here and with mom and I dad, had it right? At a, okay, so I had, they dropped it at a buddy's house like 45 minutes from base. So the car so, sat for nine months? No, no, no. When they came out to see me and then got canceled. They left the car. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. So yeah, that was the trip I was supposed car, to be on. And it was like I everything there. was so close, but so far away. So I was like begging for rides for like a weekend to get my car and get food and like get moved back into my new room. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a weird time of that. Yeah, then we got back to work and they didn't give anybody leave, like post deployment leave for the longest time because of COVID stuff. I only had, I think, five months left in the army at that point. So Which I kind of started you trying what? to lean into. April? March. March, yeah. My discharge date was in October, and I used all my leave because I didn't take any. Mm -hmm. But I started kind of leaning in towards kind of planning my future, getting out of the Army, trying to see what had to happen for that. It's kind of became my job there for a while, just 
get out of the army. It's a process. Why did was that the right next step for you? It was the right step. Um, the Lord was calling me for that. You know, I'd spent the last four years not miserable, but you know, a kind of a roller coaster. You know, good, bad. The military. You know, unless you're in it, you, I don't know that you can fully grasp it, but you don't really have any control over your life. You're kind of just at their disposal for everything. You know, the peace treaty with Afghanistan was signed, so deployments would be coming to an end. So I didn't feel like there's any reason for me to stay in at that point. So I got out, figured out life is actually pretty good on the outside. I got a dog now. You know, I'm working a job. And going to school. Going to school, pursuing a degree with a Dallas Baptist University. I'm building my house right now, so yeah. got some stuff. Got some stuff going. Now I'm excited. Okay, let's talk about <clears throat> your journey to finding Bear. She's been in the room this whole time, being so sweet. She's a sleepy girl. Why was picking a German Shepherd slash Lab the right dog? So I kept going back and forth. I wanted a German Shepherd, but while in Afghanistan, we had we had actually two service dogs. One was an all black German Shepherd who looked super scary. His name was Car, but he was a sweetheart. And then we had a lab also whose name was Pete and he was just amazing. So patient. And so I kept going back and forth. I think that was probably some like subconscious influence, but I was like, Mm. I want a lab or I want a German shepherd. And I kept going back and forth. And then Bear came up for free. She was a little accident between a full blood German shepherd that was actually used to like breed Mm -hmm. and one of the neighbor labs. It was a literal accident. Yeah. Like accident, like accidentally got loose. Yeah. Made a family. Made a family. Before you even came home, Bear <clears throat> came into your life. Like Yeah, Bear. So mom and dad picked up Bear about 10 days. My parents picked and up Bear about 10 days before I got home. Puppy form, literally, Very, right? Yeah, eight weeks old. Her birthday is actually Memorial Day weekend. Mm. She's about eight weeks old. And then I came home and we've been attached to the hip ever since. Why'd you name her Bear? Honestly, I just thought of it. I was like, that's a cool name. Mm-hmm. thought it sounded pretty scary. You know how like kids grow into their names? Yeah. I was kind of hoping that. Why did you pick a female dog? I thought a little girl dog would be sweet. She's a teddy bear. She's not scary. I guess she could be scary if you didn't know the soft side. Right. When insurance guys come to the door and try to sell stuff, she's scary enough. They don't really want to come in. That's happened. Is it the consistency or is it just the playfulness of like that she is always after a ball what is it that makes you love having a dog right now oh i just love it when i come home from work come home from school wherever i'm doing studying wherever i'm at you know she's the first one to greet me she's usually up in the window looking outside like Mm -hmm. who's here and her ears she got german shepherd ears even though like her snout is more lab kind of short but her ears are very german shepherd they stick straight up and they look too big for her head and so those ears just make me melt and i love her i'm gonna ask the question and this is me like I'm just asking it because I think everyone might be thinking it, so I'm just doing my job. Do you think that with what we always hear of, like, it's good for veterans to get a dog? Do you think that's true? Probably. And did you feel like you were falling into a stereotype when you did that? Uh, Maybe a little bit. Maybe... Probably. Or not a dog, a pet, I should say. I don't want to generalize. I think dogs, though, are more intuitive than anything else. I think a lot do lean into dogs. And I probably am following a pretty good mold of, like, pretty consistent trends, you know, guys. They go on combat deployment and come back and get a dog. She's not, like, a, a service dog. She looks like she could be. But she's not a service dog or anything. But I do think she's very good for me. Kind of gives me um, something to look forward to, somebody, something to look after. Yeah, it's probably falling into that a little bit. But she's been great for me. Well, here's where you're not following the trend. Uh, you're building a house and you're 23 and what the heck it's beautiful and also i mean the backstory which 
might be a conversation just for another time to have you back. It, the land that you're building it on has rich history mm-hmm. in failing. <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah. Well, hopefully this one does. <laughs> like, this this, this one, one's going to stick around. Yes, it will. But, but yeah, um, thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. What's it like being 23 years old, building a house and making big decisions like that? Permanent decisions. I can't even act like I'm doing it. I've had so much help from dad my father he has been helping me so much with the work with subbing out whatever parts of it we can't do finding people to do it just the planning the drawing he drew all the house plans for me yeah just every aspect of that so i can't even and other people that's not the only person that's helped i've had help from so many people Uh so i cannot act like i'm doing this and the lord is doing it and everything's through him i'm not doing anything but i am very excited to have a home you know my entire adult life i've either lived in a barracks room and then after the service until i can get my house built because that was the plan the whole time you know i've been living with my parents trying to this whole thing going so i feel like we're getting close i'm getting very excited i honestly this whole time i keep saying that i want it to be some sort of ministry you know so i'm hoping at the right time the right place with the right group that he's able to work through it we can get either a small group going that can meet there somehow i want it to be used to minister and just kind of be a place of refuge and peace i love that you invited me the opportunity just to write some scripture on the boards yeah i really appreciate you doing that That was fun. It was fun to uh, hear God speak what he wanted in specific places in the house. It's literally the bones of the house. Yeah. Like, it's there. Like, you can paint all you want. It's there. It literally gives me chills. Love it. Mm -hmm. I do, too. If you think about it, you know, this house is kind of being erected. It's kind of being constructed. And God kind of does that to all of us, too. You know, we're kind of just like a piece of dirt. And then, you know, you get the foundation going. That might be getting invited to church one Sunday. And then walls start to go up. And that's like, hey, I'm digging into this. I kind of know what baptism is now. And then, you know, you start getting a roof on and paint on the walls, baptized. And you're, you're ministering to other people. And you're starting to go boldly. And about that time, you know, it's like you're moving in. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's neat. And literally practicing what God does, which is refuge and shelter. Exactly. And we should go boldly. We serve a mighty God. That's awesome. That is so good. I love that. That's perfect. I can't wait to help you decorate, hopefully, just a little bit. I'm going to need help. Put a little bit of female influence in a a house with good bones. And there's Bear. (laughs) And Bear's waking up. So final questions for you. Yes. Something that I don't know if I've shared with you, and if I have, maybe we forgot, but it was a good reminder. There was this verse that I remember hearing during the time that you left, and I never really understood what it meant, but I always just felt like it was such a cool promise from the Lord, and it's ironic because it's actually in Psalms again, very much near Psalms 81. Psalms 84, verse 6, I remember reading in June 2019, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings, and they will continue to go stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. When um, I heard that, that was before nine months. Like, that was like month one of mm-hmm. nine months of you being away, and knowing there was so much that we didn't know, and mm-hmm. the unknown, and so much you didn't know as well. And I remember feeling that it, like... Hearing that, like, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs, and the autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. And it's so crazy to think that I didn't know really when that time would come for you to, like, come out of the army or, like, even to, like, the different markers of, like, your house and all the things. And it's all, like, the blessings hit in the autumn season. Like, you came home in the autumn. The house is, like, being built in the in the autumn. Like, there's these 
interesting markers. And it's so crazy how like the literal promise that I felt like the Lord spoke over, it's come to pass. And I shouldn't be shocked because that's just who God is. Absolutely. But like, I just want to remember it. You know, this is my Joshua year, how I've been. No, that's beautiful. (laughs) In the the book of Joshua. And so I've been trying to make all these altars and memorials. And even sitting here, like in the autumn season, having this conversation with you, like, I believe it's true. Mm -hmm. Psalms 84.6, true. I believe so also. I'm so thankful for you being a part of my family and being a part of my life. I'll say what I said on episode 12, like, still the golden child. No. (laughs) Yes. Nope, nope. Um, We didn't ask on the last chat, so I'll ask it now um, because the show is called Still With You. And, Mm -hmm. man, we are just sitting here in Psalms again. Psalms 139.18 says, and when I wake up, I'm still with you. So tell me, Ben, where is God still with you? God is still with me in the timing everything. You look back and you can see his perfect timing through everything, through all the little details, through everything that he has led us to. And that just shows us that we need to just be completely peaceful and rest in his will because his timing is everything. I'm going to think about the house metaphor too. Like I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to <tie> round. <laughs> like I'm rounding back to that as well. That's so good. Will you come back please? Absolutely. I love it. Love, love Next time, it. not three years. Let's just make it maybe annual. We got to do something else kind of big and then I'll come back. Oh, and again, that's where the golden child mentality comes. Let me go conquer something that I'll come and share my stories about it. Well, you're doing good and you're amazing. And Thanks for having me. I love you. Love you too. I know I'm a bit biased, but this conversation is one of my favorites and it truly inspired me how honest Ben was in sharing. When I showed up with the microphone, I didn't expect to talk about some of the things that we did and I'm so grateful for his bravery and his service. Just being willing to cultivate a conversation where we can all learn something. I hope you share this conversation with a friend, maybe someone who has Afghanistan on their heart or another military family. Family member. This is a marathon, not a sprint in praying for our service, men and women. The least we can do is thank them. So this week, if you see someone who you know is a veteran, I mean, a uniform is an easy spot. If you have a relative or someone who is connected to the military in any way, send them a thank you, whether this be a text, gift cards are great, appreciation posts, quick phone call, anything helps and encourages from me to you happy veterans day and thank you so much for taking a moment out of your week to spend it with us on still with you your support for the show means more than you know and i would love to get to know you connect with you encourage you in any way that i can you can always find me at my website coleybrowning.com or i am on social media my handle is coleybrowning feel free to reach out to me i'd love to know where you're listening and again if there's anything that i can do to help you pray for you podcasting questions whatever it may be let me know next week on the podcast we are getting into the christmas spirit as i am joined by my new friend author kimberly dindy i can't wait to catch you next tuesday until then be bold be brave be you and remember that he is still with you